Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Arcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later, and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... billion-dollar transmedia property that began life as a manga created by Kazuki Takahashi in 1996 and quickly exploded into card games, video games, multiple anime series, movies. Uh, Way too much to cover on this podcast, but I'm really excited to be talking about it because this is something I'll I'll admit I don't have a lot of personal familiarity with just because I'm an old, old man. But uh, I'm very excited to have our guests on who know a lot about Yu-Gi-Oh! and are happy to talk about their experiences with it. Please welcome from the Play Along podcast, Ben, Jared, and Kai. Welcome, guys. Hey, everybody. Hello. How's it going? Thanks for having us, man. I'm not used to my name being I know, worse. you're special, yeah, man. Thank you you're, for having us. Special here. Uh, so, guys, I, I reached out to you about you know what topic you might want to cover. Yeah. The consensus was Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, so I'll start with, with you, uh, Ben. Tell us about your personal connection to Yu-Gi-Oh! Why, mm. why has this meant so much to you? Oh, Lord. Um, <clears throat> pretty much from being a kid. That was like when I was first introduced yeah. to Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, playing like with my mates. in like We lived in a block of flats, so we'd all sit in the stairwell and we'd all sit and play Yu-Gi-Oh! And, you know, looking back, the, we did not fucking follow the rules whatsoever. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, we just did what we wanted to do. But I grew up watching... Uh, like the anime, playing the card game, kind of fell out of it a little while. Um, and then one day I was at a convention called Hyper Japan and this stall was selling structure decks mm-hmm. for Yu-Gi-Oh! for the trading card game. And I was with my mate and I was like, a, a different mate. And I was like, dude, neither of us have played this for so long. Like they're, they're five pound a deck. Like we should buy a deck and we should play. Um, and that was it. And then now I'm a Yu-Gi-Oh! TCG player. Um, and I've been out of the TCG for a couple of years, but I decided to get back into it. So my whole kind of thing with Yu-Gi-Oh! kind of progressed from the anime into the card game. Um, and yeah, I dipped into some of the animes now and then. Um, but yeah, predominantly, currently, it's the it's the mm. card game. But a lot of love for like the first two series of Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah, I, it was interesting to kind of go back and research it and see, like, there was sort of, like, there was this initial anime show that had, like, 28 episodes, yeah. and then it was the second series that caught fire. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the second series was... Um, the GX? So the first series was... Well, so it depends, because, like, you've got two seasons of the first mm-hmm. series. So the first series is the Duelist Kingdom, yeah. which is Yugi going to the island, battling Pegasus and um, Bandit Keith and all of that lot. The second season was my favorite. That was the battle uh, the battle city mm. arc, which is when Kaiba hosts this massive tournament in a city, and there's like duelists fighting in the streets with holograms of all their yep, different creatures, yep. and that's when it kind of like Joey started using Time Wizard and Red Eyes become more prominent, and like that's when it was. Uh, that's when I remember thinking like, oh wow, this isn't yeah. just like some people on the field like i can play this with people i know like this dude's playing it in the street on this anime like i can do that <laughs> yeah. and we'll get into it because you just threw a whole lot of proper nouns out there that i'm sure people who don't know anything about Yu-Gi-Oh are like what the fuck is he talking about uh and we'll get there um so jared uh, i want to hear from you about your mm-hmm. uh, personal experience where did you uh, get on board with Yu-Gi-Oh? Yeah, so for me, it was probably very similar to Pokemon in the sense that, like, the card game and the TV show kind of came hand in hand for me. Like, I started watching the show and almost immediately was like, I need to play this game, and then got the cards, and then it was all it was all downhill from there of being obsessed with Yu-Gi-Oh! as a child, very much so. Uh, yeah, I watched a lot of the first season, and then I remember I watched GX, which was the following series. You know, it didn't have Yugi, the main character of the original anime. He wasn't in it. It was a new protagonist and everything like that. But Jaden, yeah, I think Jaden is the he's the he's the name. New set of cards, new rules, and everything. But yeah, it was just that idea of like same with Pokemon. I like watching this thing, watching kind of the rules happen, watching the story take place, and then be able to go and then use those same creatures and those same cards and everything with my friends and the competitiveness to it. We would get really heated because mm-hmm. we would play four cards and then when people would lose, they wouldn't want to give up the cards they, they like put on the table for us. So I remember there's a lot of uh, heated emotions as young children on the on the playground playing Yu-Gi-Oh! But it just, it just, it just added like a community base to it because we can trade we can we can play the games we can play the cards and uh, like you were saying this is a huge ever branching uh media where there was the video game side to it too so a ton of the video games i also played with it but no i was very obsessed with Yu-Gi-Oh for for a long time there now and now i don't i, I occasionally play here and there i think a couple of years ago kai and i got back into it and we played um Oh gosh, Duel Links when the mo- the mobile game came out, and we played that a little bit. And then I know Master Duel is the one that's out now, and I dive a lot of it here and there, but definitely not as into Yu Gi Oh as I have been. But I definitely go through phases here and there where I get back into it, and then I fall out, and then yeah. I get back into it. Yeah, go ahead. It's got to be hard. No, sorry, I was gonna say it's got to be hard because like modern day Yu Gi Oh trading card <laughs> game is don't crazy. even give it a It just like you get one turn. I start a duel and then they just like change spells and everything, and I just lose in one turn. I'm like, why do I play this game anymore? <laughs> it has to be tough with something like this. It's been around for a while and has developed so much. It's had you know over twenty years almost to, oh, to really yeah. kind of develop. That like if you're a kid now. I don't know, you know, where where do you get on, in on the ground floor, you know, and how do you catch up with something this complex? Yeah, uh, it's got to be difficult. Um, Kai, how about you? How did you start off with uh, with Yu Gi Oh? Yeah, I think probably uh, like most people, it came from school. Yeah, um, and so we were, or especially myself, I'm the youngest one here, but kind of all the same generational timeline of pokemon cards really blew up uh in the late 90s early 2000s um and so 
in the same time period, Yu-Gi-Oh kind of took a back spotlight mm. in the same way to that. And so I I gravitated more, even though I was a Pokemon player at the time of the, you know, the Game Boy games and kind of had that experience, I gravitated more to the art of Yu-Gi-Oh cards, like the darker, more interesting kind of side of things. And I remember friends at school having binders of Yu-Gi-Oh yep. cards. Um, and so I started watching the original anime on WB Kids uh, in the mornings, which was that first season, um, and really just fell in love with the franchise and the IP and, and the kind of concept around it. I, it mm. was like the first real moment of something on TV being connected to something in my life, um, which was a very you know foundational moment for yeah. me. And then I started, I got my first cards uh, at a swap meet. Um, which were actually fake. Yep, uh, <laughs> a lot of like, a lot of fake cards like print, out there for printer sure. Printer <laughs> cards, yeah, and like like a shitty fake pack. And then I remember the first day I ever got a pack of Yu-Gi-Oh cards. I went to Trader Joe's with my parents um, because you know, fucking, I don't know. And they happened to stop at a Walmart that was next to the Trader Joe's, and I like begged them for a pack. And I can still to this day remember the smell. Oh my god, the, the card smell cards in my in my parents uh 2002 Mer- Mercury Sable in the worst <laughs> color imaginable, which was a horrible gold <laughs> color. Uh but and then additionally they my parents started using Yu-Gi-Oh cards as a reward mechanism for my education. Yep. So yep. for spelling tests, so they actually bought when the cards first started coming here, they bought uh fucking Joey's starter yeah. deck. Um, and they would dole out cards every spelling test. I would get to choose three cards from the deck uh, that I got 100% on a spelling test. And so, like, my entire childhood is directly linked with this franchise and, like, everything. Like, I was obsessed. I had the fucking, the dual The dual disc? Whatever. The dual disc on your arm? The dual disc that I had. I had hundreds of cards. I had posters in my room. I had the movie CD. I went to McDonald's and collected all of the pieces of the fucking millennium pyramid that they were selling at the time in the uh the happy meals mm. like this this was a very deeply meaningful uh ip for for much of my yeah. youth those jewel discs were highly ineffective they really were also <laughs> yeah, they're, so, they're expensive so expensive now i wish i would have i wish i would have kept mine i had two people of them. I had both. i'll go through tiktok and people will be live like co-op live streaming and they'll be playing Yu-Gi-Oh with the dual discs and that's how they'll be playing Yu-Gi-Oh yeah. like live stream on tiktok and i was like this is wild it's, it's this it's a story of life right like if you would have kept all of that shit in perfect condition yeah. like i mean my cards would be worth thousands of dollars every every generation mm. goes through that it's the same you know my my dad yeah. had probably baseball cards that if he still had them could have paid my way through college you know yeah um <laughs> yeah everyone yeah. threw out their star wars toys mm-hmm. i i told my parents so i'm i'm a i'm a uh, i was born in 1980 i'm a kid of the mm. 80s and uh, so first of all i, I you know I can't relate to Yu-Gi-Oh that much because it was just generational. I was in high school, yeah. like graduating high school as this was taking off. Right. And But I don't want that to be misconstrued as like, oh, I'm too good for this. Because, I, like I said, grew up on 80s cartoons. I have undying love for shit that makes this look like Shakespeare. So, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I told my parents, like, do not throw away all those NES cartridges I have. Like, keep oh, them. Geez, yeah. Like, those are, they're probably useless. I can emulate everything I owned. But at some point, that physical object is maybe going to be worth something. That's my one thing I'm, I'm holding on to. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I really relate to what you're talking about, like kids just sort of bringing this into the playground. Mm. And the fact that it was tied to a, a card game, this collect them all card game, like yeah. Pokemon was, that kind of made it a whole order of magnitude bigger because, you know, every cartoon in the 80s that I grew up on was basically a toy machine. And yeah. there were, I mean, there was no shortage of tie-ins for stuff. But there wasn't anything that, because it, it's this card game, you can just buy pack after pack after pack. And they're all, so there's this collect them, you're collecting things, but they have a use. Right. And there's a way of like, yeah, now mm-hmm. you're taking this like dueling that happens in the show and you're bringing it with you onto the playground to have to do with your friends. It's a genius marketing idea. Well, and the, the other thing that's genius about Yu-Gi-Oh! specifically is like, if you look at something like Pokemon, 100% a successful IP and, and arguably more successful than Yu-Gi-Oh! Right. But the separation of a card game from the reality of the premise of the show mm, yeah. um, is like, yeah, like you can have cards of all the Pokemon and that's exciting and there's a card game, but it like Yu-Gi-Oh! itself was based on right. the understanding of like, you have these cards, they have something in them. And that like magical realism as a child of like, I'm holding the same object that my hero is holding in the show yeah. and that they're using like that is an incredibly yeah. powerful tool that they leverage to be able to sell all of this product yeah. to essentially. Well, children. it was it was the same thing with like, gra- like having Pokeball toys, like being able to hold a Pokeball. I'm like, oh, I'm like using the same thing mm. that I've watched these characters <laughs> that I love in the show use a bunch of times, too. So like you said, there was a little bit of a disconnect with Pokemon and Pokemon cards because you didn't really have that in the show. But like watching the show and, and you know, everyone got their favorite cards, their favorite characters and their decks and being able to ultimately yeah. use those exact same cards that you loved so much with your friends and battling with your friends was such a surreal experience as a kid. Yeah, because now when you're playing the card game of Yu-Gi-Oh, unlike Pokemon, you're actually living out what is a functional part of the show. Right. Like the, the, the Pokemon cards are an mm-hmm. adaptation of the show, but but the, the cards are actually... In, like, that's what the, the show is, is that these characters use these cards within the plot yeah. of the show. Um, for people who don't know anything, we should probably lay out kind of what is the premise of Yu-Gi-Oh! Long ago, when the pyramids were still young, Egyptian kings played a game of great and terrible power. But these shadow games erupted into a war that threatened to destroy the entire world until a brave and powerful pharaoh locked the magic away imprisoning it within the mystical Millennium Items. Now, 5,000 years later, a boy named Yugi unlocks the secret of the Millennium Puzzle. He is infused with ancient magical energies, for destiny has chosen him to defend the world from the return of the Shadow Games, just as the brave Pharaoh did 5,000 years ago. I know it's a lot, but I'll, I'll um, leave it to you guys. If you know, you know, good for you. <laughs> Pretty much. So, um, the premise of Yu-Gi-Oh! has changed a little bit, but essentially, you and your opponent have 8,000 life points, Mm -hmm. and the idea is that you attack your opponent's life points, and say you attack with a 2,000 attack creature, they lose 2,000 life points, and so the idea is to get your opponent down to zero, um, and you can basically block your opponent from attacking you directly by having creatures on the field and they have to have a clear field before they can attack you so when we're talking like old school Yu-Gi-Oh it was very much like defense versus offense it was very Gotten much more like, complicated know, this now is a defensive as time has move. gone on way more complicated now as time Jesus has gone on Christ, has it gotten more complicated <laughs> but yeah um at its core 
it's essentially like a reactive strategy game. Yeah. You kind of have to react to what your opponent does and what your opponent activates. And, you know, there'll be times where you're like, oh, I could do this now or I could save it for later. And so it's making that decision of, is this the yeah. right time? To you know, do cards this? have synergy with one another but, too. So you can build spells off of monsters yeah. and traps and all that is. Like Ben was saying, end goal being get your opponent's life points to zero, and there's a multitude, a myriad of ways in which you can do that. And that, I mean, that's not even like the only way. Like we didn't even talk about like fucking Exodia. Right. Exodia well, that, was like that's the first the, alternate that, win. Yeah, and that's one of the things I think that they did so successfully with the Yu-Gi-Oh franchise that a lot of franchises miss on, and I think particularly Pokemon missed on this as well. Is that because we in particular were there for when this took mm-hmm. off the franchise grew with us as we yeah. grew so like the game's simplicity at the beginning the defense offense trap cards effect cards was enough for like an eight to ten year old to understand and as we've grown up and watched the the franchise change i mean i i think of three major periods within Yu-Gi-Oh, which is kind of the initial two first animes mm-hmm. that that had come out the movie that then yes. shifted to the DX series in which the, the main character changed and it got more complicated with like the different fucking bot like robot cards that all link together and then they move to the white mm-hmm. cards and all that shit and then kind of into this later half of even more complex and complicated like as we aged and matured the card game aged and matured along with us and so it always could keep your interest yeah. as you kind of you never felt like you're growing out of something it felt like it was evolving along with you and I think that's an right. incredibly powerful part of this that has kept people engaged the, so the double-edged sword to that though is if you don't keep up with it then now you are very lost in trying to learn the new yeah. the new format and the new yeah. functions and everything for sure yeah and i mean that they you, you were saying as a new player how would you get into it? like there are there are ways mm-hmm. like the it's really strange because the anime kind of functions on how to teach on teaching you how to yeah. play so they there's like this whole mechanic called pendulum summoning which is essentially you have two cards that have numbers on them so it'll be between say one and eight and that allows you to special summon any number of creatures between the levels of two and seven as long as there's space you can just throw them on the field but if you watch the anime it's kind of like a video game tutorial He'll be like, I activate this, and now <laughs> I have a gate between one and eight, which means I can do... The... And you're world, like, oh, World's okay, greatest right. tutorials, by the way. Just <laughs> made a whole ass show to tutorialize a card I game. I was, like, yeah. So, yeah. I, again, since I'm I'm, com- I'm the outsider coming in, I went and I watched the first episode of the oh, nice. second anime <laughs> to kind of under- get a sense of, like, what's the plot of this? What is it? You know, what's the shape of this thing? Right. And, like, within that first episode, yeah, he's dueling with the cards. And literally the show is telling you, like, you're using this card. You should use this card. And it does mm. this or that. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. If I was a kid, I'm like, I have this my is... deck. And I'd be like, yeah, okay, I get it. I'm going to try that when I play yeah. my friend. Yeah. Exactly. How can I use them to battle an expert like Kaiba? For someone claiming to have faith, you're giving up too easily, Yugi. Listen, sometimes the cards are like a puzzle. You have to put all the different pieces in their proper place. Ah, like the Millennium Puzzle? Exactly. Each piece helps build a greater entity. Grandpa! Like the pieces of a puzzle, Yugi. Remember! Puzzle? When are the cards like a puzzle? Wait, Grandpa once said... Dual Monsters contains only one unstoppable monster. Exodia, but he can only be summoned by drawing all five special cards. 
A feat that to this very day no one has ever accomplished. Quit your stalling, Yugi, or you will forfeit the match. I never forfeit. <gasps> Another piece of the puzzle. Draw any card you like. It won't change a thing. My dragons may be frozen for another two turns, but my new monster is under no such spell. The Judge Man, with an attack power of 2,200. I can attack with the Dark Magician, but he won't stand a chance once Kaiba's dragons are free of my spell. Dark Magician! Attack! Exactly, and like even um, like Master Duel is the free game. Basically, there's a bunch of third-party simulators that people were using to play Yu-Gi-Oh, and there was this whole system where you didn't need to buy anything. You just downloaded this free simulator, and it had all of the cards. And so Konami was like, "Whoa, we are missing out on a massive cash pot here." So they created Master Duel. And you can get all of the cards, but you have to earn credits and you have to yeah. buy in-game packs and it's random. and it's, it's a replication of the actual game. But that has in it structures where you can be like, right, this is how I normal yeah. summon. This is how I fusion. This is how I synchro. So it does teach you and it must work because like when you go to, um, if you go to like what they call a YCS, which is basically like a big event where it's like a massive, massive competition, thousands of duelists, um, and they'll have like offshoot tournaments for kids. Mm. So they'll have like an under 12s tournament where kids under 12 will battle each other and have their own like mini tournaments. So while their parents are playing in, that's so, in the that's YCS, so cool. their kids can play in the yeah. tournament on the side. So whatever they're doing is working. Um, I think what it is, too, is exactly what you were saying. Like, as we were kids, watching the anime kind of taught us these mechanics and taught us how to play the game. And as you fall off of watching that show more and more, you know, the kids that are watching the modern Yu-Gi-Oh!, the Yu-Gi-Oh! right now that has pendulum summons in it, they're learning just from watching the anime. You know, that's how they're learning the game. So it's like, if they're not watching that, then it is there is a little bit of a disconnect there of trying to just figure it out just right off the bat. And I think yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh! And it's it's weird. Sorry. No, as I say, it's weird because like the first the first arc of Yu-Gi-Oh!, like that whole the very, very first season has like a legitimate like you could watch that as an yeah. anime. Like not even get into the card game. Like it's about a dude who granddad's soul gets stolen and it's his journey to go and it's rescue the anime his granddad, plot basically. Too. Right? But then you go on and progressively as the years went on the the anime kind of become more about facilitating the card game rather than like the other way around so some of the plots it doesn't really make any like some of the plots are just like oh here's a dude and he wants to be a duelist and that's the entire plot of the arc it lost its way. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it was weird in that later season where they turned to the camera and said, "Go to your local Walmart and buy Yu-Gi-Oh cards today." It's just not the same, you know. It just doesn't hit as much. So you say it benefits a lot from being kind of a little bit later in the cycle. So the first thing I remember being like this was Magic the Gathering because that yeah. kind of hit when I was in mm-hmm. midway through high school, and I remember having a few decks of that and playing with yeah. some friends. And then Pokemon kind of came along and said, "Hey, not only do we have a card game, but there's a show and video games and stuff." And then Yu Gi Oh kind of was like, "I see that and raise, you know, we'll, we'll do it this yeah. way." Yeah. Well, did you know that um, 
Konami actually got sued by Wizards of the Coast over Magic the Gathering early on. When 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 Konami first 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 released Yu-Gi-Oh, um, they weren't called spell cards; they were called magic cards. Yeah. And Wizards of the Coast actually put out like a lawsuit and basically a cease and desist, yeah. and had to recall a bunch of. That's why they're called spells. They all said magic cards. Like, so much, so much money. I had so many magic cards. Oh yeah, I probably like, still now, have some. Yeah. I brought out in a true child fashion. I have a shoebox here that is full of my Yu-Gi-Oh cards, <laughs> uh, and I guarantee there is some cards that are all magic. PSA tens. Yeah. By the way, <laughs> exactly. Perfectly graded, perfect condition. Not yeah. just running around in a shoebox for um, sure. Yeah, so the the thing that I really, really upset me as a kid is like Yu-Gi-Oh! Around the end of the second season, after like the whole Battle City mm-hmm. arc, they tried something different and they were like, right, okay, we've got Yu-Gi-Oh! Got... Here's Dungeon Dice Monsters. Oh, I love Dungeon Dice and Monsters. And it was like, what? Um, and it was essentially like, the idea was you had, each had like a commander, basically, mm-hmm. And you had to use dice to... Um, they, like, unfolded yes. to create a path from your commander to the opponent's commander. Um, and it was really, really cool. Again, it was very, very strategy-heavy. It was like, right, if I place this here, then that means, like, this creature's going to attack that one. And But it never took it's, off, because people weren't interested yeah, in dice and shit like so that. They wanted to play It's so weird, because it feel like like Konami and the Yu-Gi-Oh, like that team had intentions of making this a big thing because they had board games for it. They had, the anime was like a, a whole season. It was like 20-something mm-hmm. episodes of this new mechanic. And then it just kind of cut and went back to the old, like, way of playing games. So I feel like they had an intention yeah. of like, oh, we're changing it up. We're doing this new format. Here's this dice thing. But no one grabbed yeah. onto it. So everyone just bounced off of it immediately. Yeah. And it's, it's really weird because like for now for me, as someone who like, I've got all my fucking... I was saying to the boys, like, I've got my decks here. I'm going to go back to locals next week. It's still been. But let's do this. There's such a disconnect between the anime and, like, the actual TCG mm. now because yeah. the, the the decks these days, uh, in, it is kind of about making or breaking your opponent's board, but then there's... well, It's about getting down to zero life points, but then there's this... People call it like the make board or break board. So, like if you go first, you essentially. Sh- sh- I should try not to swear. You essentially. Oh, you don't have to um, try not to swear at all. <laughs> Good, because oh, awesome. he wouldn't right. be able so to anyway. So it's all... okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> you essentially like shit all of your resources out, um, and you make this board of all these different creatures, and you'd be like, right, I've got seven negate, like seven negates. I can stop this. I can stop that. I pass my turn, it's your turn. And your opponent sits there and goes, um, I can't do anything yeah. about that. So I'm just going to scoop and I'm just going to quit and we're going to go on to the next one. And so it's lost its way a lot in the sense of like now there's a lot of like interaction on your opponent's turns and there's this whole like system in the trading card game of like what they call hand traps. So the idea basically being like, your opponent does something and on their turn you go nope i have this card in my hand that's not even on the field that says that you can't do that and so it kind of becomes like and then jared said you get into like chaining which is essentially when you respond to what somebody's done and it's not like 
I feel like I'm just ranting now, but it's not like <laughs> <Yeah>. with <laughs> with magic. Like, so I, I do play a bit of magic just on the MTG app, and the thing with magic is that you have mana, so you you have a set resource that you have yeah. to spend in order to do stuff, and what that does is that limits what can be done yeah, per you, turn. Yu-Gi-Oh doesn't care because... about that. No, no. If you want to do something on your opponent's turn, you need the mana to do it in magic. In Yu-Gi-Oh, that it doesn't. They don't care as long as you've got the card to do it, you can do it. Yes, which is a completely different trade card game. I mean, I think the increase in complexity is due to an incredibly strong connection that we all had with the game as children, mm-hmm. and then the people who are interested in pushing forward. Like, you know, eight-year-olds aren't competitively playing Yu-Gi-Oh. I mean, they could start, but, like, I mean, they sure, they can. But what I'm saying is that those competitions, those events are started by adults who are very passionate about it and want to push the card game forward and want to make it, you know, as, as, as interesting and complicated as possible in a lot of ways. And then those are the people who end up going and working for, you know, Konami and developing the cards. And, of course, it's going to keep getting more and more complicated and the metas are going to change because that keeps competitive interesting um and so like i think in a sense the the thing that has removed me from playing the game the complexity is the thing that's kept it alive for so long yeah it's the thing that has kept people engaged because if it just got stale and it just stayed the same and it never evolved or changed and it never kept people interested it would have died but it's staying Mm. power is the fact that it can adapt to a growing very passionate community of players that yeah. want to see it evolve and change. Oh, dude, I know people who have bought, like, when a <laughs> new set will drop, they'll buy, like, four boxes. So they'll be, like, booster box will have 30-odd packs, and they'll buy, like, four boxes of 30 packs. So they'll buy, like, 140 packs and sit there and open them and just see what they get. It, we call it cardboard crack. <laughs> My group of friends that we we called it cardboard crack because it's a fucking addiction. Yeah. You just sit there and you just open packs and you're like, oh, what did I get? Oh, cool, next pack. What did I get? Well, I mean, it's it's just rare to have a game that evolves generally, right? Like, you know, take chess yeah. hasn't changed in 500 years. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The rules of, you know, people are still playing, you know, soccer and football and baseball. Like, none of the rules of those games change very much over the course of decades. Mm-hmm. And here, like, th- like, this is kind of a modern phenomenon where where these kinds of games can and really need to evolve and change in order to stay yes, fresh. Right. Uh, you know, that, that's just a unique feature of it. And I think it fits with their uniquely complex nature um, because what you're talking about is like to be really good at this game, the game offers you a lot of different ways to approach. I mean, it's a little bit like an RPG. It's like, do I want to be yeah. a wizard? Do I want to be uh, you know, yeah. a barbarian? And there's no one wrong way to play, but you can develop your deck and your style around a certain motif or, or style. And because of oh, that, gosh, they keep yeah. adding stuff to it that allows people to go like, yeah, like you said, I can combine this thing with that thing. Ooh, and then if I use yeah. that thing with mm, it, now I got you. A lot oh, of metagaming, mate. for sure. Yeah. And there's also like, <laughs> what's really weird is like recently, 
So they have a ban list in the trading card game because I think there's something like 14,000 cards at this time, like just different cards. And what they do is they release a card and then somebody will go through the Yu-Gi-Oh! database online and find a card from 2002 that breaks it because there's a whole thing where cards never used to be once per turn so you could use them multiple times but newer cards have a clause where it's like you can only do it once on a turn so people will take old cards and use them to break the new cards and like the R&D department don't have enough time in between sets to test every single card that's ever come out and work out the interaction so it's really interesting and see that's that's the interesting thing about Yu-Gi-Oh! as well, right? Is that, like, over the span of its lifetime, over the span of having all of these cards, yeah, the, the they had added more complex systems and everything like that, but all the cards, for the most part, are relevant, aside from, like, the ban list that people have made, but, like, from OG Yu-Gi-Oh! Mm. to now, there's cards that you can add into decks, into, into modern decks, which is a wild concept, which I don't think... Yeah. Pokemon is is like that. I think they have a set of cards. Pokemon has fourteen thousand five hundred and sixty nine cards. That's insane. But but you can't use them all. So yeah. So like yeah. Well, because Pokemon does what Magic does, which is that it has a standard yes. format. So they only use like the last three or four sets. Correct. So the sets rotate out. So you can't use certain. It's really the Wild West well. with Yu Gi Oh. Nothing. Yu- nothing matters. So, so <laughs> yeah. okay. There is 12,000 cards in Yu-Gi-Oh. The ban list is 105 That's cards. Insane. Do you know how good yes. you have to be at making games to to have 12,000 of something and only 100 of those be game-breaking? That is insane. And so a lot of those is... are the original cards, ironically. Oh, yeah. like a I lot of those so. are monster revives and things that they put way at the yeah. beginning. So it's like, that is incredible levels of detail. Yeah. And they... <laughs> They they established basically it started to become a problem and Konami sat down and established this new wording system on Yu-Gi-Oh cards. So in order to play Yu-Gi-Oh, you have to basically have a fucking English degree because <laughs> there's lots of cards that like will say when this happens mm-hmm. and it's like that has to be the last yeah. thing that happens. So if something happens before there's a lot of interactions of like, well that doesn't say that. That says if I do think I do think this. my my reading comprehension increased significantly <laughs> as a child from arguing with Jared about like effect cards. Oh, and being there's like, so many. No, that's what this says. What is this? And we're just like both. We're becoming little lawyers. We're like, no, subsection eight of card B says that uh, I well, can take your sh- monster. Well, like, if I, I actually am a lawyer in real life, that's what I do. Oh wow, outside that's of this cool. podcast. Oh, and well, this all terrifies me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, all I do is look for so, complex interactions between two. Many any rules and this is like this is too much this is a it's like well, five bars Yu-Gi-Oh is, is yeah. that <laughs> yeah, exactly that's fascinating yeah so like this is this is a pendulum gross get it out of here it's, it's all it's of that text. i can't read it but i can see there's a lot of it and it's very small like that is uh four paragraphs of text in a very very small box and it will be like for instance when a pendulum monster you control is destroyed so if a pendulum monster I control is destroyed, but my opponent activates an effect immediately mm. afterwards, that's no longer when now because it wasn't the last yes. thing to happen. 
It's so, a lot. It's a lot of honestly. That. Like, you being a lawyer, yeah, you probably need a lawyer next <laughs> like, to you while you're playing to be like, um, actually. Well, I was gonna say because like if you're in the middle of a term, you said there's you know, over twelve thousand active cards, yeah, and someone pulls out one that you've never seen before, and then you have to sit there. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, like you said, it's the wild west. It's Calvin Ball, like whatever metaphor you want to use. Like, oh that, yeah, that's gotta be very trust me. Some big well, arguments I, have probably erupted. Over the thing you. The thing you'll hear the most at like a YCS tournament is somebody about 20 foot away just going, Judge! And then the judge running over because they'll have like 20 judges that just run from table to table because people are arguing about the semantics of the cards. And I also say too, it kind of like takes the stigma away from like not knowing what cards do. Because I feel like in Pokemon or like these games like Magic that have like a set meta... Like, people start knowing what the meta is and what these cards do, and so, like, you're almost obligated to, like, oh, when I play this card, the opponent should know what the effects are and what they do. In Yu-Gi-Oh, it feels like that's less of a stigma because there is so many different cards where it's like, what? I have no idea. What does that do again? And then it's like, okay, this is what this does. Yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh is a lot of reading at each other in a very condescending tone and be like, well, let me tell you. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of well, actually, when it comes to the Yu-Gi-Oh trading cards. People have gotten divorced over less, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a big uh, Venn diagram of like Reddit or well, actually, Andes and Yu-Gi-Oh players. Like, I think they're all. <laughs> I mean, I, Kai and I have probably had so many arguments about Yu-Gi-Oh. Like, oh, so, so many angry, frustrated so uh, many. situations. It's yeah. also it's also really interesting because like when you go to a tournament. Um, they'll have judges, and then they have a head judge, <laughs> and the head judge, the head judge will do a speech at the beginning. And he'll be like, you know, we're playing four rounds of Swiss. Uh, you get 40 minutes to play a best of three match, which sounds like an lot, sound but like really a lot. is not fucking anything. Um, and there'll normally be a bit where the head, ju- the head judge is like, my decision is final. Because otherwise people will just argue yeah. and argue and argue about the interaction of different cards. So there has to be someone who is like the, nope. And you, you just kind of have to take it or leave it. I love the idea of a Yu-Gi-Oh lawyer now. Like, I want that to be, like, a, a job for someone that's being a Yu-Gi-Oh lawyer. Yeah. There's, there's room for at least one or two, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, 100%. Can we talk? Can we talk sure, video games? Yeah, that's, uh, let's talk video games. Because I actually have with me this this game. Is this is the, the PS? Is the PS One existence? Is the PS One? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Yu Gi Oh Forbidden Memories. Um, is that the not like the Yu Gi Oh trading card game whatsoever? Is that the first one that they put out? I think it's either the first or one of the first. Mm. Yeah. So. Um, you essentially play as uh, a character who is trying to become uh, the next best duelist, and it turns out you're a descendant of the pharaoh. Yeah. But there's this weird mechanic where you can just fuse random cards and hope that they work. So, like, say you have five cards in your hand. When you press up, one of the cards will, like, lift up a little bit to show that you've lined it up for a fusion. And the way it works is that you can... Say you've got three of them. The first two might fuse, but if the third one doesn't, it will knock out the newly fused card and you're left with just the third one on its own. So there was a lot of um, 
trial and error and being like, right, if I put this together, that works awesome. And then the next card would, you'd end up with this like 3,000 attack creature and you're like, oh my god, how the fucking hell did I make that? And then there's another card just comes along and goes, boop, and gets rid of it. And you're left with like this 600 attack plant creature and you're like, bollocks. Uh, The only, there's three games before that. Before Forbidden Memories. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. And the, fir- and the first one, and this is how you know that localization sucked in the 90s, it's called Yu-Gi-Oh! Monster Capsule Breed and Battle. Ooh, that sounds just... like a problematic title. That's wow. not what That's you want. not at all, no. No. And um, then on the yeah. Game Boy, Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Monsters came out in 1998. Dark Duel Stories came out yes, in 1999 on the Game Boy Color. And then Forbidden Memories was Don't 99 worry. on the PlayStation. Forbidden Memories was fun, but like that was the first the one to be of... released in the United States and Europe as well. Oh, that would be why I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. the the reason it's the bane of my existence is because because to this day I have not completed that game, <laughs> and it continues to be impossible to complete because you get to a point where like you end up going back in time, right, and basically fighting Seto Kaiba, who's the main protagonist of the second yeah. series. You end up fighting his descendant, um, and he just has, like, stupid, crazy creatures. So you end up basically having to grind, and this is, like, PS1 days of grinding. So you you have to go back and refight previous duelists, and when you win, they'll give you a card, and you basically just have to hope that they give you the right card, because otherwise you cannot beat... So I've never, ever completed that game. Um, Probably, yeah, probably about... Two decades later, I still ever so often I'll boot it back uh, up yeah, and try yeah, again. I can't do it. Yeah, you want to talk about Duelist of the Roses? <laughs> I was going to say that's the one that that's I what I was going to say. So there's a lot well, of Yu-Gi-Oh games that I remember playing. I have it's in the closet though. I have the Game Boy Color um, Darkest Duel or whatever that one is. That one's fun. That one's yeah, a lot the, like the, uh, the Pokemon TCG game on Game Boy. It's a lot like that kind of format. But the one I played a lot, that me and Kai played together a lot too, is the PS2 game called Yu-Gi-Oh! Duelist of the Roses. And it's so interesting because I think this also came into the time where like that the dice game was popular because the gameplay is very similar to that. You kind of have almost... Isn't it based on the War of the Yeah, it, it was based off the real world War of the Roses with like the Tudor Dynasty and everything like that, which is so weird. But it, they just added Yu-Gi-Oh! characters into that to replace some of the like real world people, <laughs> which was so strange. Uh, but the gameplay was essentially like like Ben was saying before. You have two kind of leaders or head characters, and then you're placing down kind of your troops down to send over to the other side to defeat the head character. Think of games like Hearthstone or anything where you have a main uh, head lead character, and then you're placing down troops and stuff to defend that. This was the same way. But me and Kai played so much of this game on PlayStation 2. You know what's fucking crazy about this game? What? It's one of the best-selling PlayStation 2 games. It sold 1.4 million copies. Ooh, That's wow. how powerful of an IP this weird-ass esoteric, especially Duels of the Roses, which is not a... I mean, it's not a good game. I like Yu-Gi-Oh!, so it's fun. But it's not, like, an interesting game by any means for it to sell 1.4 million copies is... Good on them. No. Good on them. That, yeah, so people who don't know, like, so- games, like, the, the PS2 is one of the best-selling consoles of all time has some of the biggest titles yeah. of all time. So for this one Yu-Gi-Oh game to sell that many units, uh, yeah, that that's a big number for people who don't know video games. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, like, also, a, a big fan of it, 
of Yu-Gi-Oh as well was like the card. It's also just the fucking artwork. Mm, like some yeah. of the artwork on the Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Well, trading cards are so general. Good. Pokemon cards have really cool art now too. With the full arts and Magic cards have like in- insane art as well. Like card art is really cool. I love the Magic the Gathering. That's very just like classic, you know, uh, Dungeons and Dragons kind of fantasy yeah. stuff. That. You yeah, know, exactly. Uh, heavy metal album covers all the way down, which I love. Pretty much. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, Pretty much. And one thing I noticed about Yu-Gi-Oh! Just sort of, like I said, dipping a toe into it is it's like, it does feel like, hey, we took the Pokemon idea, but Pokemon's real cute and cuddly. Uh, what if we put some more edge on it? And like the creatures, like even in that first episode, are like, oh, these are intimidating and scary in a way that like a Charizard is not. Yeah. Oh yeah, the blue eyes white dragon is um that's obviously the iconic like yeah. the iconic one and in in the series is interesting because there's only four of them. Kaiba has three and then um he rips up the fourth one so that nobody else can own the copy. What a little There was a lot of that in the anime where people like would rip up yeah. cards. Really? I thought that was a fucking boss move. I was like, damn, he he means business. Wow. That says a lot about you. Uh, <laughs> back back to the Duels of the Roses thing just real quick for some for some number comparison. So there are four thousand over four thousand games released on the PS2. Duels of the Roses is the hundred and twelfth best selling wow, game that is beating insane. out The Sims, Tony Hawk Pro Skater, Jeez. Gran Turismo, Crazy Taxi, Jack, Madagascar's movie which is some reason up here but uh all the nba games all of tom clancy games like all of those games that are huge ips this dumbass little honestly like shitty kind of not jrpg but like similar in styling was like beat all of those games just because of mm. the popularity of the franchise yeah. at the time which, which is, is wild crazy. because again this didn't even wild. like aside from having similar cards it was not played like Yu-Gi-Oh at all like the mechanics were completely different no. Uh, unfortunately, it's Finding Nemo did outsell it, though. So, you know, what are, Whoa, what are we really man. saying? About... <laughs> what's, what's interesting, like, did you know that, like, in Yu-Gi-Oh, in the cards... There's lore in the cards themselves as yeah. well, which is what I find fascinating. So, what? It's it's so much. It's so much information. It's so much. But, like, so there'll be, like, different, um, well, they call them archetypes, but, like, it will be, like, you know... Uh, like, for instance, like, Blue Eyes White Dragon is an archetype, and there's a whole bunch mm. of different blue eyes white dragons and blah 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 but like there'll be you'll be playing a card and like the the one that i know is world legacy and crawler which is basically world legacy are these humans and the crawlers are these bug insects but the cards work together so some of the cards will say like oh you can use this in a crawler Mm. and then when you look into it there's a, like a fucking law that like the crawlers try to invade the world that the world legacy are from and the world legacy are basically at war with the crawlers which is why you can use the co- two cards intermittently yeah. and it's just it's just like i think one of the things that draws me to the game still is like the fault that goes behind making yeah. the cards like they're not just they're not just sets you know like okay they are but 
you know the cards are being made each of the archetypes have a story there's a reason why they're made and even like there's a whole a whole thing you can go down of like there's a card called forbidden chalice where like a girl it's a picture of a girl holding a cup and you can go through different cards and she basically like gets found out to have taken this like cup that's a holy replica and then there's a card called solemn scolding and it's her being scolded by this man for having taken the cup and then she turns evil when she's in a card called witch's strike and she's like taking revenge i I love things like that super cool and it's like there's 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 a story there but unless you know unless you've got all of the cards in front of you or unless someone tells you you wouldn't know and i think that's what i like about it it's the same thing as like five nights at freddy's don't play five nights at freddy's love the mm. lore of the series like absolutely love listening to theory on it, it sounds a little bit like uh if you played like dark souls or elden ring if anyone's played those games where you you know you yeah. go through the game you pick up a sword or a helmet and if you go in your inventory and look at it it won't just be here's a helmet it's you know here's some text that tells you something yeah, exactly. about the world mm-hmm. who owned it now imagine instead of like a few hundred of these there's twelve thousand of them <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah exactly yeah but there's that i think that's what i like is that there's so much okay they're making cards it's a business you know they want to make money but there is a reason to it there's thought and process between yeah. how cards interact in a lore level or gameplay level and it's just it's just yeah it's it interests i'm a nerd for that kind well, of I stuff see a, so i, have, I, I see a huge it. difference between this and like the stuff i grew up with because of that level of thought and care yeah. Because, like, there was a lot of lore to some of, like, the 80s cartoons and things I grew up with. But for the most part, they were just kind of shitting this stuff out to, yeah. you know, sell toys and just move <laughs> marketing, which th- this... Yeah, He-Man only goes so deep. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to know much about, uh, you know, Man-at-Arms or any of those guys. Um, <laughs> but, they, I mean, they're cool looking and all. But, yeah, the the, the lore of Castle mm. Grayskull or whatever, it's it's just not there it was never meant to be there it was just like hey let's make a cool looking action figure which mission accomplished yeah exactly Um, but but for this it's like yeah okay they do obviously yes it's still a a money-making conveyor belt but like you said like there's a lot of people really making sure these cards all interact in a way that doesn't conflict that the lore builds it is not again also like contradictory or goes nowhere yeah like they they there is a level of care because they know that they have this fan base that is going to be watching and paying attention that feels like a that They've feels like a massive one task time. too. Like that feels like a wild yeah. task of balancing this game and having like high set, having twelve thousand cards and only needing a hundred to be banned. Like that's some that's some wild mm-hmm. balancing that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, and I mean like I said, like they, they've only messed up one time where they released um an archetype called Spiral, which was so insanely powerful and they did not see how people would play it through that it came out a week later it was at a tournament and something like 97 percent of the top 40 decks were spiral and so they launched their first ever emergency ban list normally they're at set times throughout mm, yeah. the year but at that point konami were like nope this is, this is too, this is too much got, people are not stop. enjoying the game we're we're putting yeah. a break on it so there is that level of care. Do you guys have any favorite moments from the like the cartoon or the movies? Oh, I mean the movie, the the first oh. Yu-Gi-Oh movie, like that was such a big deal when it came out. Like I remember going Dude, to theaters yeah. and watching this, and then 
one of the cards, one of the big like selling points, and the, the thing that was on the front cover was like the blue eyes shining dragon. So you got that card when you went into the mm-hmm. theaters to like watch it. But I remember it being a, a huge spectacle. I'm pretty sure we we saw. Yeah, it together, I think we saw right? it together. We saw the Yu-Gi-Oh! yeah. Together. We went together to go see that movie. Yeah, it was yeah. so good. Yeah. That was probably one of my favorite Yu-Gi-Oh! moments. For me, seeing the movie. Yeah, I, I remember seeing the movie, and it was a massive deal. But for me, it's really weird. Everyone, everyone kind of talks about like the moment in the anime where um yugi successfully summons exodia for the Mm, first time so you have to have all there's five pieces of exodia each one's their own card and if you get all five in your hand you win the game automatically doesn't matter about life points doesn't matter about you you just you win um and no one's ever done it before and yugi manages to do it for the first time and everyone talks about that for me there's a bit in Duelist Kingdom where Kaiba has three blue eyes white dragons on the field, which is, is massive anyway, right? Like, you need to tribute two monsters in order to summon a blue eyes white dragon. So he manages to get three onto the field. And you're like, oh, fuck, these are the only three in the world. This is massive. And then he's like, but wait, there's more. And he fuses them together to make this, like, triple-headed like Hydra. blue eyes white dragon hydra creature and i remember sitting there like oh my how the hell is yugi gonna beat this like what the hell (laughs) you think you've taken things to the next level very well you've given me no choice but to ritual summon and take things to the maximum level you said i couldn't get to you with blue eyes well i can with this blue eyes chaos max dragon Because that was the moment where it was like, like that again. That was like never ever done. Like people right. didn't fuse blue. Well, eyes that was the thing with the movie too. I mean, the whole anime is like Yugi doesn't lose, right? And there's times where he gets like kind yeah. of close, but mostly in like normal battles, he never gets close to losing. And that heart of the cards, exactly out of the heart of the cards. Uh, and that's why the movie was so big because <laughs> it was like, oh, oh, he's gonna lose. Like he's straight up gonna lose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I think I was a little too young for to really deeply deeply connect with the original like I watched the original anime we watched and it together I enjoyed a lot, it, yeah. but I don't we watched it together a lot and I watched the original movie in theaters, but I think DX was the first time I really got invested. Jaded like and I all remember those, the Elemental Heroes and everything. I, Elemental Heroes and I remember coming home after school in the 4th and 5th grade and like beelining it to my brain because i think it was on it it must have been on at like five or like four thirty. so i would do my homework and i would like beeline it, and i had this tiny ass like i think it must have been 12 inch like crtv that i would just like <laughs> sit three inches from yeah. and absorb the anime like as oh, it came yes. on to wb kids just being like this is the greatest thing i've ever seen and like you know have my cards out and watching it and being like this is incredible i just had a random flashback sorry do you remember I, Doug, you wouldn't, but like, do you boys remember there's an episode in the first season where um, Yugi is fighting, he's, he's dueling against a woman called Maya Valentine, yeah. and her whole shtick is that she's psychic. She knows what card she's about to draw, and she's like, drawing all these things, she's like, right, I'm about to do this, and she's like, oh, look, I'm right, and she's doing it all, and she's getting in Yugi's head, and then all of a sudden he's like... What's that? And she's like marks her cards with perfume. That's so what she it knows was. What comes I do to come. that. And like that moment of like Yugi realizing like 
Yeah, like my moment of Yugi realizing, like, oh, she isn't psychic. There's a gimmick. Yeah. She's essentially a con woman. Um, because that was how she won. She got into people's heads and and basically made them choke, yeah. and that's how they lost the duel. Yeah. Um, so that yeah. was a big moment of him, like, because he was like, oh my god, like again, like how's he going to yeah. beat this woman's psychic? How the hell is he going to? One beat of my her? other favorite uh, moments from the anime too, because I guess it starts very straightforward with just like Yugi battling duel's kingdom i mean the whole plot is saving his father's soul so i mean that's a little far-fetched and wild in the first place but it yeah. gets crazy and talk about like big hype moments with cards one of the big like arc after like exodia was these things called the egyptian god cards which were kind of like these sought over they're oh, like they're like throwaway yeah. cards now you can find them everywhere they're not like a big deal but at that time they were these three cards individually were all such a big deal they were hard to find and not only were they hard to find in the in real life but they were like sought after cards in the anime so it was almost like this this weird real real world and and like show connection where like they're rare in the show and you also can't find them in real life too so there's had this like huge weight to them and there's a there's an antagonist that ends up showing up his name is merrick maverick malik Merrick. Merrick, thank you. I was trying yeah. to think. As yeah, Merrick. And he's an amazing Really good antagonist, but there's all this whole dynamic with them and then these, these three ancient gar- cards. And that sets up the whole plot of, like, you know, this ancient history of these creatures and everything like that. But the Egyptian gods were such a huge point in Yu-Gi-Oh! For me, I, I didn't even own them until later on, but it was something that was always sought after. Like, you always wanted these three cards. <laughs> pivot to two not anecdotal real stories that about this franchise in my life that i think are the two most important or like most memorable moments one was my parents were worked at high schools still do uh for most of my childhood my dad was a security guard for high schools and still is and so he would have to chaperone dances and so i would have to go with him to these high school dances as a kid Yes, uh, I and often that. just sit alone by myself as gross teenagers grounded on each other for like hours <laughs> at a time. But I brought my prized Yu-Gi-Oh deck to one of the school dances and it was like an outdoor, like, I don't know, fucking beach themed dance. And I was just sitting at the table and I went to go get a drink and I left my deck on the table oh, of the dance. And when I went back, it was gone. Ooh. And I think that was probably one of the saddest, like most devastating moments of my childhood. Uh, and then the other story is I was in middle school. Uh, and I was a very young entrepreneur type, and I would carry a metal case that was a poker chip box. Oh, you yo Weird, like cheap, <laughs> like Kaiba. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But I would carry it around, and it had Yu-Gi-Oh written on the side of it in literal sharpie that I had, and I would sell card packs. So I would take all the shitty cards because I had so many cards at this point that I would put them together. I'd rubber band them with the backs facing each other. And I would tell kids like I would sell them for five dollars a piece and I would tell them there's one rare card in every pack. And like I was a great salesman. I made hundreds of dollars. And my parents found out I was doing this at school. Yeah. And they made me donate it to the church, which was the (laughs) meanest shit ever. I was I was fucking caked up. All right. And they were like, "Nope, you have to." Well, you are you're also, you are selling Yu-Gi-Oh like, cards at uh, the school, so probably not the. Uh... Hey, 
you know what? Some people would look at that as entrepreneurial spirit. They'd be like, you know, he's yeah. a businessman, and that's what his that's, future is. He's a hustler. Exactly. That's... Not my parents. They were like, you are a sinner in the eyes of God. I'm like, fucking Jesus <laughs> I remember my mate slapping down a dark magician in a duel once, and nobody knew he had it. And that was a proper, like, oh, but like everyone was like, oh. <laughs> uh, well, one, one more memory that I have. It's, it's a funny one. It's not necessarily a good one. Again, like I talked about before, as kids, you would, like, play for keeps. So you would, like, offer up cards, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, if I win, I get this card. And I remember going in really confident with one of my friends and then losing and then not wanting to give him the card and, like, locking myself in the bathroom and crying because I didn't want to give away this card. Oh, I was oh, really here's, young. Here's... Here's even worse. Okay, I had this friend, Michael Laub, in uh, grade oh, I school. I know this name. And he, notorious. he had a card that I really wanted. Like, I, I can't even remember what it is to this day. But I went over to his house, and he was like, oh, I'm going to use the bathroom. And I pocketed the card, card when he was in the bathroom. Oh, you and he never found out to this day. Michael, Michael Laub, are you, if you're, you're listening, listening in the eyes I, of God. I, here's his address. You can go find me. him. <laughs> Yeah, I see. That's 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 I why you had to stole, donate all the money to the church. I know. Man. I really God was a you. as a child, so you know, it probably was good that I got caught and learned a lesson. But uh, yeah, well, uh, it makes you do crazy things. <laughs> well, we're we're sort of coming up on time, so I like to to kind of end the podcast by asking you guys, you know, mm-hmm. why do you think it is that Yu Gi Oh has endured the way it does? And this is one that's you know not just lives on in people's hearts nostalgically. This yeah. is still going strong today, and not not just because it kicks the shit out of pogs or whatever but like you know tell mm. me in your thoughts you know why, why do you think it is people still you know have this undying love for Yu-Gi-Oh? i i think you know we we talked about it as almost a gripe right that the game is super complicated and everything like that too ultimately if we took the time to learn the mechanics that's the only difference is that i don't think we I don't of me personally i don't take the time to learn these kind of things and when it doesn't work right away it's frustrating but Yu-Gi-Oh! continuously adapting and changing the meta and still inco- finding a, a fantastic way of incorporating old cards. Like we said so many times, 12,000 cards and only 100 unusable. Like, that's impressive to make your game that balanced through the 20-plus years that this franchise has been going on. And Kai had pointed out, too, like, you kind of have to adapt. Like, if it was the same thing as OG Yu-Gi-Oh!, mm. I don't think it, they would have lasted as long. But... They continue to no. innovate. They continue to change. They continue to incorporate new and interesting ways to do this. It was there's XZ cards. There was fusion summons. There was now pendulum is the the, the new meta and the new system that they're doing. So I think just a hundred percent. I think nostalgia and love for the franchise has helped it for sure. But I also think that it's you know Konami and this Yu-Gi-Oh team continually adapting this game and changing the format that has really helped prolong it too. I, I think them continuously updating and, and changing the meta and everything for Yu-Gi-Oh! has kept Yu-Gi-Oh! afloat. And the continued addition of the anime has just kept younger kids. They're, they're continuously pulling kids back in, and the nostalgia and the love of the game has kept all of the long-term fans in. So they, they're doing a great job. Whatever they're doing, they're, they're killing it. Yeah, right, that, was, that, right. that, was, that was the end of my thought. It was okay. just that, that that's it. So Kai, you can, you can kick it off. Yeah, go ahead, Kai. Sure. Yeah. I think it's been very interesting to watch Yu-Gi-Oh, especially over the past couple years, I think, struggle a little bit with its relevancy outside of its core audience. Um, You know, I think Pokemon got very lucky in that the games were the largest part of the franchise for a broad part of its existence and were able to kind of carry its relevancy and then had such an impactful kind of experience with a lot of huge content creators like jake paul 
and people who ended up, you know, buying a lot of those cards and bloating the market in a sense over the pandemic where yeah. it really spiked people's focus into that world. Um, and I, and I, I feel like Yu-Gi-Oh is going much of the way that, that Magic has in which it has kind of c- cyclical periods of, of relevancy and then kind of fading back into the, you know, place that it sits of just like, oh, there's like a strong community, but it's not something that, you know, it's not 2006 anymore. I can't go to any kid on the street and be like, oh, do you know what Yu-Gi-Oh is? The, the chances are probably not. Like, probably they haven't really meaningfully engaged with uh, Yu-Gi-Oh's IP broadly and like... I think that's okay. Like, I think it's it's great. It's something that I fondly remember. And as I said, it was one of the first pieces of IP that I really connected with in a way that I never had before um, and really brought me into its world and its lore and made me care about something. And that is deeply important to me. Um, and I think as long as it keeps offering that to the people who still care about it and who played it and still you know create metas and competitively play like as long as it is serving that audience i think it'll always maintain some of its relevancy it just you know it may not be the the behemoth that it was ever again and i think that's okay like i i don't expect it to be i think it's good that we're moving on and evolving and new things will come um but it is truly i think a fantastic you know just entire universe of things that you can engage with and if you haven't spend the time to you know interact with any of the ip whether the card game or the anime or any of the games that are on multiple systems like give it a try give the anime a try give it a watch like it's short and quippy and it was definitely of that generation that was made for a younger audience it was made to be cartoony rather than kind of the more serious animes of like hunter hunter and and those more adult focused animes but it's still i think especially the the second iteration of Yu-Gi-Oh holds up in a sense of of being an interesting story and while yes it is essentially a tutorialization of the card game it does have its own merits as like a, an artistic kind of thing yeah. um and so yeah i i think you know i'm interested to see where it goes i really don't have a good answer of, of what it looks like maybe it will have another heyday maybe it'll come back maybe it won't but i am deeply appreciative of it regardless because yeah. it did play an incredible role in my youth and i am grateful for that ben how about you uh yeah i just wanted to say like i was wondering while kai was talking i looked up um attendance for the ycs events i was talking about the Yu-Gi-Oh championship series um this year in may philadelphia 2396 people 3225 people in la in la 3,500 in London. Those are big ones. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There are smaller ones that are like a couple of hundred people. But um, I I think kind of... I think Yu-Gi-Oh! is at a point now where I think it's established. I don't think it's actually going to go anywhere. Um, you know, it's been said before about how older people are sticking with the game because it changes younger kids are coming in because of that social aspect and you know the sort of trading card side of it like i have traded with younger kids like that sounds really weird but like 14 15 year olds at locals like they'll be there and like you know you still trade with them like you don't you don't don't be wrong you're not like you're going, going out on a different kind of ban list so there's there's a there's kind of like an unwritten rule at Yu-Gi-Oh places that like 
if you're looking to trade cards, you have your binder on the table next to you. And so all people do is come over and it's like, oh, is that your trade binder? And you're like, yeah, sure, have a look. And people will look like that's the level of interaction that it takes at locals. You definitely can't, as a 30-year-old man, walk up to a 14-year-old and be like, do you want to trade cards? Playground and be like, you want to trade cards, kids? <laughs> yeah. Not going to work out well for you. Um, and I, I think that, I think that, yeah, I think it's here and I think... A, the work by Konami in terms of, you know, the lore, the way that the game plays, the mechanics and everything holds it together. But honestly, I think a big part of it is the community. Yeah. Like in the community, there are esteemed, like the people who are known to be active Yu-Gi-Oh players. Um, But even then there's like what they call the GOAT format, which is basically a ban list between certain years that Yu-Gi-Oh! community as a whole considers to be the golden age of the Yu-Gi-Oh! trading card game. So they run off of that ban list. Um, I've been to locals where they do a 2.5, what they call 2.5 ban list. So they'll take out the stuff that's meta and try and give some of the lower performing decks a place to shine because there's not those meta cards in there. And I I think it shouldn't be understated how much the community around Yu-Gi-Oh is such a big part of what keeps it alive. Like Konami can release all the cards they want, but for whatever reason, the community has come together and wants this game to stay alive. And that's a massive reason as to why it has, I think. Yeah. I, I I agree with that. I think, you know, even as an outsider, you know, I I can recognize what's special about this and for any franchise or IP to run this long and stay this successful, like capitalism can only force something to exist and be, you know, popular for so long. Um, I'll give a, a mm. unrelated example, but like the logo for this podcast is a, I tweaked a version of the original Legend of Zelda. Mm, yeah. And that's a franchise that's been around since, you know, what, 86, since I was a kid. And you could, Nintendo could have kept pumping out the same kind of Zelda games forever, but the reason it's lasted this long is that they dramatically reinvented themselves multiple times and very recently did it again. And there's something about that. Like the audience, you can't fool an audience. Like you can give them stuff. They can, it can be okay, but it won't connect in a, in this, at this level without it intrinsically being Mm. like inherently good. And like you said, Yu-Gi-Oh has this kind of winning combination of like, it's an interesting IP. It's sort of weird and dark, but it also is this communal, like ongoing, pro- evolving process that keeps everybody engaged. Yeah. And like that—that's that, a very special form of alchemy. That's basically, with the like rare exception of Pokemon before it, like it's basically never been duplicated and may never be duplicated again. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, we're waiting for Digimon to take right. off. You know, still to Digimon, this day. Like they're, they, they're they still have games. games right there. Like they've been going they... hard with games. <laughs> Yeah, did you do you know what it did actually really really take off was um, Final Fantasy too. I remember that. Bakugan took off Final Fantasy, and they did a Dragon Ball um, yeah. trading card. Game. I uh, I competed in Beyblade competitions. Oh my so, gosh! You know, Beyblades, boy, fucking hell! Yeah, that was another horrible IP from that generation. <laughs> Communities rule everything. So um, <laughs> I want to give you guys an opportunity to you know uh, upsell yourselves in the Playlong podcast. Tell our audience where they can find your stuff and and tell them all about it. 
You know, Go, I, feel like I always do this. I feel like one of you should <laughs> no, do it. And there's, and there's a good reason you always do it. <laughs> fine, I'll, fine, I'll do it. Yeah, so we are the Play Along Podcast. We play through games in kind of like a book club format. The three of us all each take turns choosing a game, and then we break that game up into sections and then come together each week to talk about those sections. Kind of like a book club, but for video games. But you can find all of our content on playalongpod.com or anywhere you find podcasts. Just play along pod. And then our socials as well. Play along pod on Instagram and Twitter. And threads. Go follow us on threads now because that's the next new social media platform. Go we are on threads. Yeah. You oh, knew I, I threads. new social media, <laughs> man. I had to get back on Jared it. I had to get on it. does the outros because he knows things that neither of us <laughs> Yes. Well, thanks so much for dropping guy- by, guys. I-, I really am glad to be able to learn a lot more about this subject just you know again just being the the old man that i am it's you know this thing that i've, I've seen around and i'm like yeah yeah that Yu-Gi-Oh thing i i, mean, I kind of have an idea what it is but it's right. been great to really delve into it and uh yeah I, i'll just uh just as, uh, i want to upsell your podcast too because it's great um because oh, i i sure love uh, oh, i sure love you. video games a whole bunch so listening to you guys talk about it is awesome and it's neat <laughs> to hear your perspectives because uh, it was, I remember it was like, oh, I've, I got to listen to a couple of their episodes and really get. It was like, oh, let's listen to a uh, Chrono Trigger. Oh, they're not so hot on it. Oh, yeah. uh, how about how about Shadow <laughs> of the Colossus? No, not so much. Oh no, I'm I'm entering into the forest of hot takes. We're gonna yeah, be in you, trouble. You jumped in on both of our like <laughs> hot takes. I mean, don't don't yeah. even touch our Super Mario RPG uh, episode if I, you don't want to have uh, nostalgia ripped away from you. So I love Shadow of the Colossus. I'm just uh, I well, it. you've got a whole library of wonderful things to talk about. We have plenty of yes. video game uh, episodes on here too. If that's uh, that's your beat. But, uh, of course, we've covered lots of movies, TV shows, everything else. So um, if you have thoughts on uh, on this episode or our recent ones, you can, of course, tweet it to at NostalgiumPod or find us at uh, NostalgiumArcanum on Instagram. And please go there because that's where we post bonus stuff throughout the week. And uh, we're not on threads yet. Looking for a lifeboat. Could be threads. Could join there. Uh, not sure threads. what we're going <laughs> to do yet. Twitter is slowly sinking. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's uh, just watching that thing go down the drain. Nice and slow. Um, so yeah so if you have thoughts on this recent episodes include uh, Doom 1993's Doom so Ooh. there's a video game one for you uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit uh, before that was oh, My Cousin Vinny uh, and what was before that one My f- oh Chrono Trigger was the one we did so you can hear us glowingly talk about that yeah game. if you want a better perspective <laughs> on Chrono Trigger than ours then you should probably go listen to that Man, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit uh, it was a good episode too it uh, hasn't come out yeah. yet as of the time of this recording but it was fun we, we, talk, we, we also did an episode on, on Doom 93 so if you want to hear us talk about Doom, which we all really enjoyed it. Go check that out. Yeah, that game holds up like a champ. Uh, it really does. Good. Uh, oh, yes. And so, yeah, so if, uh, if you have thoughts on that stuff, please write in. And of course, like, rate, subscribe. You know what? You've heard a podcast before. You know what to do to let them know you like it. So, uh, with all that, thanks again, guys, for coming on. And uh, until next time, that is. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having, having us. us. Sure. And until next time, that is one more entry in the Nostalgium Arcanum. Play any poker, Yugi? I love cards! My grandpa told me to always believe in the heart of the cards. What can I say? The kid loves cards. Game's five card draw. One-eyed jacks are wild, okay? Sounds good to me. No problem. Excellent.
You gonna pick up your cards there, buddy? I have no need. Okay. Uh, anyone else? Two for me. <laughs> I'll take four. Well, I'm gonna raise you fellas two bucks. I'm out. Of course. Chuck? No, <laughs> too rich for my blood. How about you, Yugi? You gonna fold like these chumps? <laughs> I don't like that smile on his face. He could have anything in his hand. You have to believe, Yugi. When you have faith in yourself, the card... He doesn't do this at work, I swear. My friends believe in me. I can do this! This hand's not over yet, Dave. Reveal your cards. Read him and weep. <laughs> Two pair eights over threes. Not so fast. Your overconfidence has been your undoing. Your two-pair might be impressive, but you will find that it will take more than that to defeat an opponent who is pure of heart. The most powerful thing in the world is friendship. So allow me to introduce you to three of my oldest friends. The three Jacks! What the actual fuck? And now, my Jacks, draw your weapons and destroy his two pairs! <laughs> 